Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And for you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Cox this afternoon, and we will be taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. Governor, I want to start out and ask you about something that you talked about in your monthly press conference today, and that is uh, the possibility of a tuition freeze. Was this some form of announcement? or what Sure. Do you yeah, yeah. It's something we've been talking about, thinking about for a while, looking for ways to help families. Families in Utah, we've seen, of course, inflation is rising. Uh, the, the cost of, of higher education has been rising significantly over the past decade, and, and even longer than that. We're, we're, it's something I'm, I'm concerned about. Now, the good news for Utahns is that Utah has one of the lowest rates of, of higher ed um, uh, tuitions in the, in the country. We also have some of the lowest rates of, of student loans in the country. But we can do more at a time when when families are struggling to to make ends meet. This is one way where we can encourage more people to uh, to improve their lives, improve their their, their education outcomes, and uh, and do more with less. Um, we, we've seen um, SUU over the past few years has implemented their own tuition freeze, and uh, they've done a, a really great job of, of being able to do everything that they need to do with that. Now, th- this is not a, a permanent thing that I'm proposing, but for this year, it makes sense to me for everyone to pause, uh, look around, make sure we're doing things the right way, and we're getting the most efficiencies out of our uh, out of the tax dollars that we're spending on higher ed. Can you be more specific when you talk tuition freeze? Are you talking about increases in tuition or are you yes. just talking about? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking about no increases in tuition. Most of our, our universities have increases every year and, and some of them fairly significant. And, uh, and so the, the proposal is that our, our public universities would have no tuition increases this coming year. Is there already one that was proposed? They, they, so they haven't submitted they their, haven't their proposals that yet. yet. That will be coming up. Yeah. So this, this will take place again next school year. Um, and, and those proposals, I believe, usually come in the, in the spring, um, come to the Board of Higher Education where, where they have to be propo- uh, approved. And, uh, and so we'll be working with the board. We'll be working with, with presidents. But uh, today I, I just wanted to, to let them know that, that, that I believe. Now, the legislature can do this as well. The legislature could put a tuition freeze in place. Uh, but certainly the, the Board of Higher Education could put a tuition freeze in place. And, and that's, that's my proposal. Is this something that you believe the board would do? I, I hope so. We'll be talking to them, working with them. Uh, they're appointed by the governor, so it would certainly make sense for them to, uh, to do that. And uh, we'll have those conversations. How do you feel about the Biden administration and their loan forgiveness plan? How does that work in Utah? Yeah, so, so I, you know, I've, I've been pretty clear on this. I've talked about it a lot. I think it's, it's not great policy. Um, and if, for, for a couple 
couple of reasons. First of all, it does nothing to help inflation. In fact, it, it does the exact opposite. Um, it will only uh, it will only potentially increase inflation. Uh, the, the the second piece of this again is that it does nothing to uh, to get at the root causes of of what we're, we're talking about. I mean, I, I I would love to see the administration lead out on ways that we can make education more affordable for people. That's that's the issue. Uh, instead, is this you know are we just going to do this every five years right before an election? Four years when when a president needs help with their party, are, are we going to you know? I, I just that doesn't make sense. It's just not good policy, and uh, I, I think most people agree that it's not good policy. Um, and and I even if you support it, um, it's not getting at the root cause. It's not actually helping the problem that that is out there. So what we're trying to do is work on solutions. Again, we we um, we are we have the best system, I believe, of higher education in the country. Uh, but but being the best of a broken system isn't isn't great. There's more we can do. Yep, there are students who will be aided in Utah. I'm not sure, sure. how many will benefit Former from students. this. Former students, yep. right. So this doesn't impact those who already have loans that, oh, because they don't pay them until after they graduate. Correct. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, correct. I, I, we took our loans in a different way, so I was, I was, had forgotten about that yep. one little piece. Yeah. So talk about inflation. What kinds of things are we doing in the state? Utah yeah. definitely better off than a lot of other states, but sure. what kinds of things are we doing? Yeah, so, so economically, uh, if it, it, we talk to economists all across the country, and they will tell you that the two best economies in the country right now are Utah and Idaho, and uh, we're we're excited about that. That's good news. It means there are good jobs, high paying jobs out there, uh, but but inflation is still impacting families across the board. Um, unfortunately. So much of the inflationary pressures that are out there are under the purview of the the federal government. But the one area where we can make a difference is the is the cost of housing. And uh, I talked about that today in in, in my press conference. I, I talk about it often. I get asked about it. Um, in Utah, we, I like to, to joke that we, um, we, we want our kids and grandkids to live near us. We don't want them to live with us. And there's a really important distinction there. And if we don't bring down the price of housing, that's, that's it. And, and Maria, this is really just simple economics. Um, it's supply and demand. When you have more demand than supply, the price goes up. Um, so we need to increase supply. Now, what the federal government, what the Fed has done, the Federal Reserve, is increased interest rates. What that does is to destroy demand, but it's artificial demand destruction. What they're saying is we're going to make capital, we're going to make money too expensive so that people then won't borrow money, won't spend, won't, won't, won't buy houses, and the price of housing will come down. And they're right. The price of housing in Utah is coming down fairly significantly, actually. We've seen, uh, we've seen big, uh, big decreases in, in the, the asking price of homes. Um, the, the problem with that is, though, even though people can buy houses now a little cheaper than they could a couple months ago, uh, it's still costing them more because the again the loan is so expensive. Uh, the, the, this this interest rate. That's that's not the way we should be doing this. Now, Utah leads the nation in housing starts, but we are working with the League of Cities and Towns, working with the legislature, um, trying trying to find policies that will increase supply here, um, building in the right places, places where we have infrastructure. So we're not lowering the quality of life. But yeah, I, entry-level housing, we're not just talking about deeply affordable housing. That's another discussion, and we, we, we have several projects going on there. But we're talking about entry-level housing. So... You know, kids graduate from college, got married, maybe have their first child, they want to buy a house. There, there are 
it's it's almost impossible to find those starter homes at, at a price point where people can afford. And and that's that's what's keeping me up at night. And uh, that's what we're working with the legislature on. We will have uh, a couple bills this year. Um, we don't have the final details fleshed out yet, but we will over the next few weeks. And I'm very excited because I think it will make a difference. It has to be a really tough balance. We're talking yeah. about more construction, building more houses at the same time when we don't have enough water. Right. We need to be conserving. How do those two things work together? Yeah, so they, they can they can certainly be in conflict done poorly. But if we do them right, and this is where we're trying to align as well. So, for, for example, I was just down in southern Utah and uh, um, St. George, fast-growing uh, obvious water problems and we we had a conversation about that so 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 one of the new policies that we put forward was the first of its kind a statewide turf buyback program where we give grants to homeowners to remove grass and replace it with waterways landscaping it's been phenomenally successful uh we had a 500 percent increase in requests for these types of programs so we we need more money for that but my point is why on earth would we pay to remove turf when new construction is putting in new turf all the time that, that eventually we'll probably have to pay to remove, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or mm-hmm. offer some rebates to remove. Um, so that was the conversation that we were having in Southern Utah. Like, look, we want to do more of this, but on the new construction, let's not put in unnecessary, uh, and, and unused turf in, in these, in these areas. And, and, and they agree. That's something that they really want to focus on. So, so we have to get one of the other things that I just want to mention is last year for the first time, um, we put in a requirement in legislation that cities and towns have to take into account water when approving new uh, new subdivisions and, and new housing permits. Now, you would think that that's kind of a no-brainer, but it had never been required, and there were, sadly, some cities that were, were not doing that. Um, they Now, we're getting much smarter about our new development. How much water do we have? What does that look like? Where are we going to put that water? Is water reuse a possibility? Another thing we're working on in southern Utah is reusing that water. I just got back from a, a few weeks ago from Israel and Dubai where we met with water managers there. The, those are two desert places, uh, desert cities, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, uh, uh, Dubai, and Abu Dhabi, where they know how to get the most out of the water they have. And we're taking those lessons back with us, meeting with water managers and working on even new and better policies to conserve. But I do have to give Utah's credit. Billions and billions and billions of gallons were saved last year voluntarily as people cut back. Right. Governor, let's just move on for just a second. Right now, Hill Air Force Base is holding a press conference about the F-35 crash that occurred there yesterday. What are your thoughts on what happened? Yeah, so so uh, last night I had a briefing with um, with leadership on on the base, uh, the commanders there. Uh, we we talked about uh, the, uh, the the accident, and uh, the, the the best news of all was that the pilot was able to eject with just minor injuries, so he's he's going to be okay. Um, other good news is that w- there was no significant property damage or or, or loss of life in anywhere else. Um, all of the systems worked the, the way that they were supposed to. Uh, we, we don't have, and, and I, I don't think they'll be announcing any um, a, a, any uh, a, news around what what caused the accident. Uh, the conversation I had last night was that it's under investigation. Investigators are on the scene, and as soon as they have uh, the, they have information, they'll let us know exactly what happened. Whether it was a mechanical failure, accident, you know, pilot error, where, uh, none of that. I, I don't know what the answer is right now. But uh, but I, but I am grateful. They they did have um, they did have some other planes that were in the air, some other F thirty fives who landed. Uh, 
uh, and uh, and we we helped them. Our our Air National Guard was involved in making sure that those jets were secure when they landed um, away from Hill Air Force Base. And uh, the the best news of all is that everyone's okay, uh, except uh, maybe some tax dollars that went to a very expensive jet. Right. That does have probably make people a little bit nervous that live sure. near Hill Air Force Base. You talked about the systems that were in place. What safety systems are? Yeah. In yeah. Place? So I, a couple things. One is that the, the perimeter around the base um, is is in place exactly for this scenario to make sure that we don't have homes in that immediate flight path where they're they're coming in to, to land or or do those maneuvers. So so that's again to us that's the great news. There may have been an orchard or two where there you know, some debris um, was was deposited. Uh, at least as far as I know as of as of last night so that's um, that's uh, that, again that's good news I, I mean we do have we, we do have this 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 base um, this incredible facility a very important facility in our state it is in a residential area obviously but it is a very very large base and there's a reason that it's a large base and this is this is one of those reasons um, emergency responders were on scene very very quickly to make sure and put the fire out I think there was about 10 acres there that was that was burned and uh, the the, the, those emergency responders did their jobs, um, got where they needed to be, when they needed to be there, were able to put that out. Again, um, rescue teams went, uh, were able to locate the, the, the parachute from the, uh, from, from the pilot that ejected, and, uh, and all of those things worked the way that they were supposed to. So we're, we're grateful. Again, you know, airplanes sometimes fall out of the sky, and uh, we're, we're just lucky that no one was hurt. All right, let's take a break. The number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let, Let Me Speak, speak to, to the, the governor. governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. You can also text us your questions, 57500. Let's go directly to the phone lines. James is waiting patiently. Good good afternoon, James. What is your question? Well, good afternoon, Maria, and good afternoon, Governor Cox. And my question is, I've held on to for a few weeks, I was, it pertains to the National Governors Association. I understand, Governor, you were elected vice chairman of the group. Congratulations. My question is, how often do you confer with your fellow governors on issues of the day, and what are some of the prime issues you discuss? Well, well James, it's great to hear from you, and thank you for that that question. Uh, so, so yes, I was uh, back in July. I was elected um, vice chair of the National Governors Association, which means that next year I'll be the chair. So, so this year the the uh, the chair is is Governor uh, Phil Murphy from uh, from New Jersey. Uh, just just wonderful human being, a Democrat. We do alternate, so Democrats one year, Republicans the next year. And and every chair has their own uh, their own initiative, something that they they want to work on. Uh, past governors of Utah that have been able to chair that organization, um, Governor Herbert, Governor Levitt, both uh, both had an opportunity. I, I believe Governor Murphy is the first governor from New Jersey to ever hold that position. So Utah is very lucky, and, and we've been very well represented there. And uh, and his initiative is on youth mental health. And so uh, he actually just this week, the last two days, he and his 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 wife of uh, the first. Lady of New Jersey, Tammy, have been here with Abby and I, and uh, we, we brought in experts from all over the, the, the country. Um, we also had representation from uh, Arkansas, Alabama, New Mexico, uh, d- different states. Pennsylvania was here as, as well. I think Minnesota was represented, and uh, we talked about uh, youth mental health and, and what we can do to increase resiliency 
uh, lower the the suicide rate and uh, and just improve outcomes. It was a wonderful couple of days. So so that's one way in which we uh, we get together and confer. Um, another way is uh, every month we we hold a call with with governors and we all get on the call together and and we get to pick the the chair and the vice chair get to pick topics that we're interested in. This last time we had experts on on China um, come on to talk to us about trade with China about what's happening between the United States and China, China and Taiwan, uh, China and Russia, um, so some of the, uh, the, the hostility that, that's happening and, and uh, unfortunately growing in, in relationships between China and, and other countries. And, and it was really fascinating and helpful to us as we're looking at, uh, at businesses in, you know, in Utah and other states that are doing business in, in China. And, and what does that look like? What does the future of that relationship look like? So that, that's another way that we get together. And, and then finally, um, you know, it's 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 so much fun to have fifty other governors. Uh, somebody recently said that governors are kind of the last adults left in the room when it comes to to politics, and that we really are willing to work together um, across aisles and learn from each other. Uh, and uh, and so during the pandemic, um, there were weekly calls, uh, but but often I'll just get a text from from a governor, um, my my friend, uh, you know, Governor Gordon in Wyoming, Governor Little in Idaho, uh, Governor Ducey down in Arizona. Uh, it will just get a text. Uh, something that they're working on, an idea they had, or, or a question they had about something that we're doing, and, and we try to learn from each other. And, and that's the, the best part of, about the way this nation was set up. You'll remember that uh, we weren't a federal government first. We, we are states first, and that's the, the whole point of federalism. That balance has gotten a little out of whack over time, but this idea that we would be laboratories of democracy, so that we would have 50 different uh, different experiments going on all the time, and, and the idea is that we would learn from each other, and hopefully the federal government can learn a little bit more for us from us, but I'm grateful for my fellow governors and, and uh, the, the way that they help Utah. Governor, explain for Utahns what it means for you to be the chair of this organization. What yeah, does it mean to the state? Well, it's it's uh, it's a big deal for our state, and again, I feel very fortunate that that my fellow Republicans—that's who chooses the the you know the Republican representation. So, uh, of all the Republican governors in the in the state, as we got together, um, they they uh, they decided that that they wanted Utah and they wanted me to uh, to represent that organization. So, it will give me an opportunity again to have a governor's initiative. It certainly brings a spotlight to Utah and the solutions that we're. We're doing here. It's an opportunity for us to share with the rest of the country some of the great, uh, the, the great research that's happening here, the, the great policy solutions that are coming from here, um, some of the wins that, that that we have here in our state, and and I think more than anything, it shows the respect that other states have for us. I, I don't think it was about me. I think it's more about the the state of Utah and the great things that they see our economy. Um, they, they see uh, the, the the things that are being accomplished by amazing entrepreneurs here, uh, and and it gets them excited. And so we're, we're, we're excited to share our vision and the things that are happening here with the rest of the country. We have just a couple of minutes before the bottom of the hour news. So let me ask you the first text question, which is, uh, do you have any plans to give stimulus checks to Utah citizens? Yeah, so, so we don't have any plans to give stimulus checks. Again, we're, we're trying to uh, we're trying to improve uh, the inflation, uh, decrease inflation. And one of the reasons we have so much inflation is because of the stimulus checks that were given out by the federal government. So that that's a kind of an anti-inflationary or, or actually a, it helps inflation. It's not anti-inflationary. Um, but but, but tax cuts, I do believe, are really important. Uh, we, over the past two years, um, past two sessions that I've been governor, um, together we've had uh, over $350 million in tax cuts, the largest tax cuts in, in our state's history. And, and I believe...
believe that there is still more we can do. And so I, I would say pay attention to this uh, this legislative session. Um, I'm uh, I'm going to be proposing uh, additional tax cuts, and we'll be working with the legislature to make sure that those tax cuts get implemented. Are you going to share anything about where those cuts might be made? Not yet, but I will. Okay. So we're, we're in the process. The way this works, um, the, the governor, by, under the Constitution, I, I'm required to give uh, a proposed budget to the legislature. Now, ultimately, it's up to the legislature to decide where they want to spend the money. Uh, but that budget usually comes out uh, around the first week in December. So we're, we're still gathering all of the data, all of the information, and uh, and then we'll be... Uh, so so just, just backing up, those tax cuts have come in a couple different versions. We had tax cuts that went to families. Uh, we had we had two tax cuts that went to seniors and uh, with Social Security, and then we had a tax cut that went to military veterans as well, and then and then just a, a general income tax cut. So I think we'll see some more income tax cuts for sure this year. That's what I'm I'm hoping for, and a couple other areas that we're gathering data on. All right, let's take a break for the bottom of the hour news. We'll be back with more of your questions. Number to call with your questions eight zero one five seven five eight two five five. You can text us at five seven five zero zero. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And for you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. And again, that number for you to call, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 575-00. Russ has been waiting patiently in Wanship. And good morning, Russ. What is Good afternoon, Russ. What is your question? Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Governor. I, uh, I run a construction company, and we move uh, material back and forth between Wasatch and Summit Counties. And my question is, is there's been a contractor that's had Highway 40 shut down one lane all summer. And I know they're improving the bridge and fixing the concrete. But my question is, is many times we drive through there, wait a half hour to an hour to get through that congestion. And there's one, maybe two guys working on five miles of freeway. Is there any way to require these contractors to put a large crew on there and get the work done faster or even do it at night? Yeah. I mean, there's tens of thousands of people that are affected by that big bottleneck that's lasted 
six or eight months. Yeah, Russ, th- thank you for that question, and I, I'm so sorry. I, you know, we, there's a lot of jokes in Utah about about the seasons. There's winter and, and construction uh, being the two seasons, and certainly we are seeing a, a significant uh, amount of construction happening ac- across the state, which is a good thing. Um, we we do pride ourselves on having some of the best roads in the uh, in the nation, but that comes at a cost, and and you're seeing part of that cost, and 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 I'm so sorry that those delays have been happening. We we, we run into this situation where um, we, we do road construction a little differently now than we used to do 20, 30 years ago in that we, we try to keep lanes open and keep traffic moving instead of shutting things down um, e- e- even at night and and that that always extends the the amount of the uh, of the uh, 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 the time that it's going to take to finish those projects so um, with this specific project um, I certainly can look into it and I assure you will I know we have we have uh, this this project on us 40 that you're talking about I've been caught in it before um, I think we're talking about the same one uh, kind of on the county line there uh, and and we're replacing bridge decks over the the Provo River and several miles of concrete pavement uh, so it's it's a big project it's been taking some time um, I, the good news is that I, I think there's there's not going to be any lane restrictions um, during the, uh, the the winter months and uh, and the project will be be wrapped up next year um, we've got a big i80 project that we're working on as, as well that's that's taking some time out there and so let, I, I will I will look into that specific project and see if there's anything we can do to uh, to, to move that contractor up and, and get things done fa- quickly. We do have contracts um, with some penalties if people go over time. Uh, I don't know, again, the specifics of this one, but I'm certainly happy to look into it. And, and thank you for reaching out. Uh, Governor, next, a texter wants to know, with a state surplus, why are we still double taxing Social Security? Yeah, so I, I mentioned before that we've had some some Social Security tax cuts. Um, when I ran for office, one of the things I promised people is that I would try to get rid of, of taxing Social Security. Um, not, most states do not tax Social Social Security. We are one of those that does. Um, and so, uh, I, I, as I mentioned before, that is one of the places where we did get a tax cut through the, the legislature. So, so right now, for if if you're you're married uh, or head of household filer and you make less than sixty two thousand a year, we removed all taxes on Social Security. So again, if you're if you're married filer making sixty two thousand or less, you should not be paying any Social Security. Um, if you're single, I, it's around thirty seven thousand, I, I think, and you won't pay any of that. Um, if you if you make more than that, it it is it gradually phases out. So um, the idea behind this, is, like if you're super wealthy and you're getting Social security you you will still be taxed on that um but but everybody else should not be and it phases out until again it's gone at the at the sixty two thousand mark so so i'm hoping you'll see that as you file your taxes now um coming up this uh in uh in april when we we all have to file our taxes that that you should see a significant reduction if not a a a complete elimination of any taxes on social security all right back to our phone lines todd is in ogden and good afternoon todd what is your question Yes, um, I was wondering, with all the water shortages and the snow not getting any deeper and such, why haven't we had some sort of law or talk about uh, all new subdivisions and construction work? I'll have to have the zero-scape water-wise plants and maybe limited to a little some, some small grass in the back or something, you know, there, and sort of like Vegas does, that instead of, you know, continuing to... Uh, Put all this uh, all this grass everywhere. My company I work for just put a bunch of grass down, you know, and they don't need it. It's out in the parking lot along in the 
you know, in between the park, uh, the areas. So why are, why are we doing that to stop the bleeding, you know, quickly yeah. versus not doing anything? Yeah, Todd, thank you. It's a great question. And, and let me tell you that th- those are conversations that are happening in some places. It has already been implemented in, in others. It will. Um, l- let me just give you a, just a little bit of background. Um, and, and this will probably blow your mind. I know it, it, it kind of blew mine, but we actually had some municipalities and, uh, and, and HOAs that required Required you to have grass. So you, you, I mean, you, you could even if you wanted a waterways landscape, landscape, you couldn't even do that. And I, I thought that was crazy. So we did at least get that changed last year. Um, that that's a that's a really big piece of it. Making sure now that that if you want waterways landscape, you get to have that. Now, many of our cities are passing these waterways landscape ordinances, like you mentioned in uh, in in Vegas. Uh, these include you know water efficiency standards for fixtures, as well as limiting the amount of non functional turf grass. That's the, that's the piece you're talking about and i agree it drives me crazy when when i drive by a mcdonald's and there's grass on this strip and the only time anyone ever touches that grass is to mow it and then there's water watering the the sidewalk and the road right next to it we we should not have any of that uh i, I want to give a shout out I, I mentioned them already the the uh the uh, Washington County Water Conservancy District down in St. George. Um, they've adopted water efficiency standards and are prohibiting non-functional grass in industrial, commercial, and institutional areas. Residential can only have 8%, so a significant reduction there, and they're they're looking to do more. Um, we are the only state that offers a statewide rebate for, uh, for water-saving devices, and we are the first state to offer a statewide turf buyback program, which uh, which is, is going to be launching soon. We're very excited about that. Uh, we, we appreciate you mentioned um, Las Vegas, the Southern Nevada Water uh, Authority is they are a conservation leader, and we're we're talking about them. We appreciate the path that they've charted, and, and we're taking some of their their advice and collaboration as as we move forward. There are certainly some differences between the way Las Vegas does things and, and the way Utah does things. Um, we have lots of different water providers, many more than than they do, and we're working with each of those. But we're really excited. Um, the state of Utah has implemented a regional water conservation goal uh, that are. Tab- to every region, and uh, you're going to see much more of, uh, of, of what you just talked about. Governor uh, Larry would like to share his thoughts on xeriscaping. Larry, what are your thoughts? Larry, are you there? Okay, we will go to our next texter then. Uh, this person would like to know whether you support the CDC committee's um, advice to add the COVID vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule. Yeah, thanks. So um, I, I, I know that that came out. We haven't received the, the official communication on that. Um, I think it's important to note that those, while those are um, guidelines that are put out nationally, um, they, they are, uh, the, the states get to decide um, what they're going to put on those those lists of, of, the, uh, of the vaccinations that are required. Um, I, I don't support putting that uh, on, on, on Utah's list uh, for, for lots of different reasons but the biggest one which is that this should be a, a decision uh, that that families get to make um certainly we know that uh the, the covid outcomes with very young children are are significantly different than than older people uh, i mean it's not it's not even close and so i don't think it makes sense to add that as a mandatory one of course we will always make it available and as families decide that they they want to get that that vaccine um they're certainly welcome to do that and and we encourage that for anybody that wants to get the vaccine and this is a great opportunity 
opportunity for me to remind people as we're heading into flu season uh, that uh, right now is a great time to uh, to get your your flu vaccine. We're we're seeing some indications that uh, that influenza uh, will will be on the rise this year after after a couple down years, and uh, and also the the new COVID vaccine uh, that the updated COVID vaccine, especially for those that are over the age of, of fifty, um, really consider doing that. COVID is still unfortunately uh, killing w- far too many people. Um, most of them are are older, and uh, we want to make sure that people stay safe. But we should not be mandating that um, to uh, to to younger children. We will take a break. Come back with more of your calls and questions. The number to call eight zero one five seven five eight two five five. You can also text us at five seven five zero zero. Your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Governor Cox. And let's go back to our phone lines. And Brent is in Salt Lake City. And good afternoon, Brent. What is your question? Yeah, Governor, I, thanks for taking my call. I talked to you last month on uh, I-5201. On how bad the road is, and uh, is where it's bad. It's northbound, where you see a sign that says uh, "5300 South, one and three quarters mile ahead." Right there, uh, where the train tracks go underneath the freeway, there is like a bump. And I'm in the semi, and it just throws you everywhere. It doesn't matter which lane you're in, in your car. It will throw you out a little bit, but like if you're in a Cadillac or something luxury, you're not going to really feel the whole effect. And I was just wondering if there's anything you doc can do to take a look at it, maybe grind it down or feather it out so it's not so bad and throw our freight around. Yep, Brent. Thank you so much. Um, I, I've got the details now. I, I think I know exactly where where you're referring to, and uh, and I appreciate. It. I, I got to give a shout out to our our, our semi truck drivers. I had two uncles that were uh, that, that were truck drivers. Spent a lot of time um, w- with them, and uh, really grateful for for your work. We we try so hard. Uh, I fifteen, as you know, is our, our most heavily traveled freeway, and uh, it, we see about three hundred thousand vehicles pass through each day, which is just a, a crazy number. A, a lot more than than I ever un- understood or expected, and uh, and so um, I, I've got uh, I've got the details now, and uh, we will get with UDOT and see if we can't get somebody over there to uh, to check it out, and uh, and then uh, get a project on to uh, to flatten that out and make sure it's not it's not causing any damage. All right, thank you for your call. Next listener would like to know what's being done about the rising cost of rents in Utah. They say they can't rent anymore. Yeah, so again, this this goes to the housing discussion and it's it's just the the, you know, the other side of the same coin. It's do we have enough units available? And and so as we build um it, it here, we're we're not just building uh we're, we're not just building homes for for people. We're we're building apartments for rent, um making more rentals available the market will certainly have an impact on that right now we we have more home starts uh per capita than anywhere in the country but as as these rates rise um and and we see fewer homes being able to be purchased and prices start to come down uh, what what historically we've seen and what we think we'll start to see again is more rental units becoming available and uh and, and so that should help alleviate some of the rental crunch that we're seeing here um i i you know i this is not just a utah problem 
as we met with with the National Governors Association, uh, high home prices and rental uh, prices are a, a problem all across the country in places you even you wouldn't expect it to. Some places in rural Utah are really struggling with mm. this as well, which we've never had a problem with that before. So, so it is very unique. Part of that was driven by the pandemic. Part of it was driven uh, by the stimulus. Again, part of it has been driven by just uh, being the fastest growing state in the in the nation over the past ten years. All of those things have converged to uh, to make it very difficult for people right now. But the same bills that we're working on uh, to reduce the cost of housing will also help to reduce the cost of rents. Autumn is in Bountiful with a question. Autumn, what's your question for the governor? I was hoping that lawmakers could help seniors a little more. In my situation, uh, I don't have family, and if I need surgery, I don't I don't have a ride. And, and I've been going full circle with two one one. And also with the Department of Aging, who tells me there is no one, there's no, there's nothing in Utah, in, uh, there's nothing in place to help seniors that don't have rides to and from um, any kind of surgeries because there's responsibility in finding people out and you cannot take an Uber on and so on. And my, and my other question is, I hope that there'll be plans in the future that lawmakers will get involved to hopefully build a CCRC for seniors. There is none in Utah, but Utah doesn't cater to seniors. Um, The the, uh, continuing care retirement communities that are here are based basically for nursing homes and not for people that are maybe independent um, and would like to transition, you know, as as they age and pass away. Autumn, thank you for that. Can, can you tell me again what that acronym s- s- stands for? I know you said it, CCRC. Can you say that one more time, what that stands for? CRC, it's a, it's a continuing care retirement community in which you, um, and other states, very popular in, in every, pretty much every state but Utah. Utah doesn't have such a thing. Thank you. Um, and it, it basically, you, you have to sign, you have to sign up and uh, move in when you're independent and then you go from there. But, but again, and, and my other question is, um, I'm wondering if there will, there's a hole in the system where people that don't have family, you know, uh, or anyone that's, that can take them during the day, there is no way to get to and from surgery. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Autumn. And I'm happy to answer that part of your question. Thank you for the, the information on the, uh, the, the CCRCs. Now, I, I want to, uh, I want to go back to, to your question about, uh, about transportation. And, and certainly, it, it, look, we, we are aging as a society. Um, Utah is still the youngest state in the nation, but we are getting older. And so, these are these are really important programs uh, to uh, to to help our seniors uh, make sure that they can get the care that they need. And uh, you've certainly um, you've certainly shared with us one of those uh, issues. Now, I can tell you, as a county commissioner in Sampe County, this was something that we worked on to uh, to find transportation for seniors to their surgeries and and doctor visits. Um, we have some counties do have these programs. Uh, they have some of these programs for people over the age of sixty. Eligibility is different depending on on the county. Um, some counties do have a a a, 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 a dial a ride program. Now, I think you, you mentioned you're in Bountiful, so in in Davis County, uh, the the medical transportation is available to seniors for appointments within Davis County. Now, um, they they currently aren't able to transport outside of Davis County, but they they do have a, a number of the, the the nutrition and transportation office. It's it's eight zero one five two five. 
5058. And uh, so I, I would 801-525-5058. I would encourage you to, to look there. Um, extension is extension two, I believe. I'm just getting this this information, just looking it up now. Um, uh, da- uh, the, also, their website, um, daviscountyutah.gov, uh, and, and there's a link there for health, aging, adult services, senior health, and, and senior medical transportation. So definitely look there, and uh, we'll continue to work with our counties to uh, to expand those types of services. All right, Governor, ballots are arriving in the mail for most Utahns this week. Uh, our next texter would like to know, have you taken a stance on the Senate race in Utah? And if so, what is it? Sure. So, yes, look, ballots are coming out. Uh, it's, it's so important that uh, people get their ballots and, uh, and, and that they vote. Um, I was really pleased. We had some, uh, we had some, uh, a poll that was done this, this past week that uh, talked about uh, how people's faith in elections in Utah. And we saw a significant increase in people trusting elections in the state. Um, 89% of Utahns uh, have have trust and, and faith in our elections. Um, that's up about, uh, I think, about seven or eight points over last year. So we're headed in the right direction. I so appreciate our county clerks who have worked so very, very hard in uh, in making uh, making this all work, making the system work. Um, they are available. If you want to go to your county clerk's office to see how it all works, if you're curious, if, you, if you're if you're worried about elections, you want to see the safety measures that are in place, please go check those out. It's very important. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been asked this question about about who I'm supporting. Um, it, it hasn't changed. I'm, I'm, I'm a Republican. I support Republicans. Uh, I, I'm supporting Senator Lee. Uh, I, I've talked about that over the past couple months. Uh, he's, he's a good friend. Um, we've been very fortunate to have his representation. We don't always agree on everything. Um, and he, he doesn't always agree with me. I don't always agree with him. But but I'm always grateful for, uh, for his participation um his his opponent um i'm I'm sure is a wonderful person um i don't know him very well at all and and that's one of the things that 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 concerned me as i travel around the state i visited every city in town Uh, i've been to thousands of events over the past 10 years and and never seen him at at, at any of those events and so that that has always given me pause but i'm sure he's a great guy i'm sure what i think is not going to impact anybody's vote Uh, i doubt i've i've changed any minds uh when it comes to who who people support and uh I'm sure people will vote for whoever they want. But most importantly, I said this when I was running, even if you don't vote for me, it's so important to vote. It is the baseline of our democratic republic, and we need people to step up and and, uh, and submit their ballots. Governor, thanks for being here. Thank we'll you. see you next month. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.